tonight we cover John 1, 1, and then we're going to shoot down to verse 14. As we draw closer to Christmas Day, I thought it would be good to take a closer look at the Christ of Christmas. And I I think that's what God wants us to do, you guys. Uh, As we have this season, um, we celebrate his birthday, right? You know, and a lot of times what ends up happening is this time of year, we seem to do a lot of other things except that. You know, and I and I know you've heard this illustration before, but imagine how silly it would be going to a birthday celebration and paying no attention, you know, no never mind to the one whose birthday it is, right? We would never do that. And yet, so many times, I think because of the culture and because of the commercialism and materialism, we do just that. As we celebrate the birth of Christ, we forget all about him. And so, you know, it's cool to be able to do these studies and, uh, you know, a lot of things going on. How many of you guys uh, put lights on your house, just out of curiosity? All right, we got Grinches uh, here tonight. Uh, You know, one of the things that we don't do that much anymore is uh, send out Christmas cards, huh? And I noticed that those things are kind of dwindling. But I'll be honest with you, my wife, she sends them out every year. She's real faithful about that. And uh, I love receiving them and, and reading them. Uh, one of the things I like to do is to go through those Christmas cards as we receive them in the mail and pray over the families that do send it to us. I, I recall one in particular Christmas card that made it so simple. It, it just said, when you get right down to it, the only thing that really matters is Jesus. And so it said Christmas blessings. And I thought, that's really cool. Another was more or less a prayer that said this. It said, this Christmas, may we seek him, find him, adore him, and welcome him anew into our world. You know, and that's a prayer. That's my prayer for myself. Uh, I believe that this time of year, as we focus on the Lord, focus on the fact that he came, that we can draw closer to him, that we, as a result of that, uh, will be more like him. We'll hear his voice. Our life will change. The Bible says, if you seek after God with all your heart, he said, I promise you, you'll find me. And I think that for a lot of us here, even though you're coming on a midweek, I'm so proud of you, maybe that's what you're lacking. You're like blaming on this and that and circumstances. And God is just saying, all you need to do is seek me with all your heart. You know, it's kind of interesting. We're still working on the sound system in here But did you guys know that if you came up to the front row that you can hear the speakers better? Did you guys know that? It's loud, you know? And eventually what we want to do is we want to put speakers in the middle of the room. That way there's more of a balanced sound. But there's there's like an illustration there. It's like the the closer we draw towards God in our heart, the clearer we'll hear him. And I think a lot of times that's what we need. We need to know what to do by hearing him, and we need to have the power to do it. That as we draw near to God, just like we read in the Bible, Jesus would touch them, and there was power. And so that's what we need to do, you guys, uh, all the time, but especially as we draw near to the Christmas celebration. You know, for some of you here, this is new because you're a new Christian, You know, for most of us, however, these things we've heard many times. But here's the thing, you guys, whether it's old or new, it doesn't matter. We need to know it's true. And the key is to keep it fresh and to stay focused. And so it's just so amazing to me how, you know, the world is working so hard to take Christ 
out of Christmas, right? To rewrite history, to eclipse the fact that Jesus is the reason for the season. One person put it this way. They said, to perceive Christmas through its wrappings becomes more difficult with every year. And, and that's true. You know, one USA Today article had as its title, Christmas, a commercial holiday, not holy day for many. And the article went on to say that 9 in 10 Americans will celebrate Christmas, but increasing numbers see the holiday as more tinsel than gospel. This year, more than ever, Americans prefer that stores and businesses welcome them with generic greetings, and 1 in 4 Americans say that Christmas is simply a cultural holiday, not a religious observation. And so, you know, for us, of course, we know that people are free to choose and believe whatever they want. You know, that freedom of choice has been given to them by God himself. But it doesn't mean that they won't suffer the consequences of those choices. Because here's the thing, you guys. When you take Christ out of Christmas, you miss everything that's good. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the things I like about this season is that it's a call for us as Christians to get back on track and to focus on Jesus. Remember what the Bible says, fix your eyes on who? On Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And so, Today, um, what I'd like to share with you is four things about Christ to consider this Christmas. And as we go through, we're going to look at different passages. But tonight, we're in the Gospel of John. And we begin, first of all, the first point is the deity of Christ. You've got to know about the deity of Christ. And that means that, that you've got to know he's God. You've got to know that. And we read that so clearly here in John 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, one of the interesting things about the Greek language is you're able to, just by the prefixes and suffixes in the words, you're able to uh, take a word and, and within a sentence give a particular word an emphasis. And so for us, if we were reading you know, some article or writing something out, if we wanted to emphasize a certain word in a sentence, we would probably bold it or highlight it or circle it or underline it. Well, what the Greeks did is within the prefixes and suffixes, they were able to do that and emphasize a certain word. And the interesting thing, you guys, about this very first verse of John chapter 1 is that the emphasis in the original language is on that last word, uh, God, or Theos. And so when you read that passage, it sets the tone for the whole book of John. And it's supposed to be read like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how it's supposed to be read. Because the whole Gospel of John, it emphasizes the deity of Christ. And so you read about him here in the beginning. Right in the beginning, you know, John 1.1 1, 1 clearly takes us back to Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, the very first verse of the Bible, which says, in the beginning, God, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And so I, I don't know if you guys ever think about things like this, but man, in the beginning, you know, to me, that's time before time, 
right? There's actually eternity before time, and then there's the beginning of time. Well before the beginning of time, there was God, right? Read it in John 1.1. We read it in Genesis 1.1. But the Bible here is more specific. We read here that in the beginning was the word. It says there in John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, the Greek word is the, is the word logos or, or logos. And it's the origin of our English word, can you guess? Logo, right? Logo, right? You know, when you see the golden arches, what do you think about? French fries, McDonald's, right? When you see that little victory check mark, what, what's, what's that logo all about? Nike, right? Victory, you know? And, and when you see Jesus, he's like the, the logos, He's God. In the beginning was the Word. He's the Logos. He's the expression of God. He's the, he's like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, in the beginning was the Word. And this is interesting. You've got to really check this out in history. I really encourage you guys to check out the Aramaic culture and the, and the Greek culture but, but to the Greeks, they had uh, a meaning poured into that word logos. Um, the Greeks knew all about this, and that's why they called the one who made the universe and maintained it, who kept the order of the universe, the Greeks called that being the logos. And so as John writes to the world, um, he writes at the beginning was the word or was the logos, what he's telling them is that this is the one who made and maintains everything. This is the one who keeps the order of the universe. And in the Greek language, this little word uh, logos means a lot, and, and so does the word with. It's interesting. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now, that Greek word translated with, it literally means face to face. And so this is not like some, you know, it. I mean, this is someone. This is a person who is face-to-face -face with God. We're going to see eventually that this is God the Father, right? And, and, and it's really radical what he says at the end. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, face-to-face -face with God, and the Word was God. And so you've you got to know, you know, what we're celebrating here. You've got to know, in order for you to fully appreciate Christmas, you have to know who Jesus is. You know, a closer look at Jesus reveals that prior to his humanity, he was deity. You know, here we have God the Father and God the Son. And you know... It's interesting, you got to submit to the revelation of what the Bible says about God. But, but, you know, I know someone will say, well, wait a minute, I thought there was only one God. And, and you're right, there is only one God. But here we have two beings that are God. They bear that title. And so I know most of you know this, but perhaps if you don't, just in case, it's so important that you do. What we find when you put the Bible all together is that the, the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, and yet one God. Each person of the Trinity, fully God, equal in essence and nature, 
but not in function and office. Because what you find is the Father is highest, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit, although they're equal in nature, not in office. And so, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's important for you to understand this. It's kind of like a husband and a wife, right? Husband and wife, equal in essence and nature. They're both what? Human beings, right? Even though I think ladies are more amazing, still, let's set that to the side for a second, okay? They're both human beings, right? But the husband is the head of the wife. Even though I, I believe this, that most of the time, husbands submit to their wives. Most of the time. Don't you guys agree if you're a husband? Most of the time, you know, whatever she wants to eat or, you know, whatever it is. You know, you try to make her happy because what? A happy wife is a happy life, okay? Don't you husbands ever forget that, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing, you know, they're equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. Same is true within the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always existed. They're, 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 they're one God and yet three persons. And so it's important for us to know this. They're not three gods, and it's not one God who puts three different hats on or different modes. It's not like that. It's important for you to know exactly how to word it. One God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. When you know that, you'll be able to read your Bible without confusion because it becomes so clear. Henry, do we have a, a picture of that? We do. Okay, here we have an ancient diagram of the Holy Trinity. And I like the visual it gives right here because you have one God, and you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, Right? But they are all God. You know, so someone says, well, I don't understand how that works. How can there be three persons and one God? And all I can tell you is this. It's exactly what the Bible teaches. And although we can't comprehend how it works, we submit to who he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see? And what we find is that if you're here and you're like, well, I don't get it. I don't know how it works. Don't worry about it. Just submit to it. Because if you're trying to, you know, comprehend it, then you're going to blow a fuse in your brain. That's the bottom line. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, just as uh, an ant can't, can't comprehend calculus, neither will you and I be able to comprehend God. We just know the way he's revealed himself to us by the revelation of his word. Now, we have numerous passages we could turn to, but within the Christmas context, it's interesting to see how, you know, when the angel spoke to Mary, who asked how she could possibly conceive a child since she'd never been with a man intimately, we read about the three persons of the Trinity in Luke 1, 35. It says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One is to be born will be called the Son of God. And there you see the three persons of the Trinity. You have the Holy Spirit, who in John 14 and John 16 is called He, not a nit. He, in the Greek language. So you have the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the highest. That's the Father. And then it says right here, and that Holy One, who's that? That's Jesus, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. One God 
three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's interesting when you read through the Scriptures, and there's many passages we could turn to, like John 20, 28, or Acts 20, 28, where the Bible says God purchased the church with his own blood. God did, right? Romans 9, 5, Philippians 2, 6, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission, right? Even 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifested in the flesh. And so, I don't know, I just think it's very important for us to know his deity. You know, one of the things that you can just, it's an easy, like almost like no-brainer. No Let me ask you guys a question, okay? All right, are you listening? Okay, you wake up over there. No, I'm just joking. You guys are all awake. See, um, who made everything? Who, who made everything? God. Okay, good. Look at John 1, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. If you start from the beginning and you put it all together, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, speaking of the Word, that's Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. There are some who like to say Jesus was made. Well, the Bible says nothing was made without him. Without him, nothing was made. And so you would actually be accurate in simply saying that Jesus, he made everything. You know, and for us, we've got to know what the scriptures teach. Genesis 1.1, um, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did God do it? How did he make everything? You guys ever study, you know, astronomy and, you know, geology? How did he do it? Where did he get everything? Did he go down to Home Depot? You know, get all the materials? No, you guys know, huh? He spoke everything into existence by the power of his word. Imagine that. You know, let's just say you're here and you like carrot cake. You know, all you said was this carrot cake, you know, and it was there. Imagine that, speaking things into existence well now we have the god jesus who made everything and he simply spoke it into existence let there be light let there be stars you know creating everything how by the power of his word he spoke the universe into existence by his word the hebrew word there is bara it means to create something from nothing God didn't have any raw materials to work with. He made everything by the power of his word, you know? And that's supposed to impress us. And I hope that it does, you know? I mean, we might look at an automobile, a vehicle, a car, and, you know, consider the maker, an inventor, maybe someone like Henry Ford, and say, wow, he made that? That's pretty impressive. You know, we might look at our iPhone. And, and, you know, just consider the maker and inventor of the iPhone, someone like Steve Jobs, and say, wow, he made that. That's pretty impressive. You know, but, but what do you say when you look at the universe and all the, the galaxies, the mysteries, the sun, the stars, the seas, the cells, the sounds, the songs, the moon, the men, the music, the, the lightning, the love, family, intimacy. I mean, the human, I mean, the hands, the heart. What do you say about the one who made 
everything that everything else is made of. And, and, and he made it, how? By the, by the power of simply speaking it into existence from nothing. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their hosts by number? He calls them all by name and by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. You know, and that's supposed to impress us. You look up and you're like, wow, you know, who made all these things? You know, I, I, I trip out on stars. I really do. You know, they say that if we were to travel to the tip of the northern or, or southern hemisphere, either side of the earth, and then on a, on a perfectly black night, you could see 9,000 stars with your naked eye. If you had a good pair of binoculars, you could then look up at the stars and see 200,000 of them. If you got a small telescope up to the sky, you would, and I would be able to see 15 million stars. But uh, according to astronomers, if you were to again go to a large observatory, what you would be able to see within our galaxy alone is billions of stars. And you guys know our Milky Way galaxy, which is 120,000 light years wide, has 400 billion stars. Just in our cubbyhole, just in our galaxy, right? But uh, according to astronomers, there are 17 billion galaxies. Think about that. And Jesus Christ, spoke them all into existence from nothing by the power of his word. You know, Edison, you're impressive. Henry Ford, high five. Steve Jobs, you know, it's pretty cool what you invented, you know, and you might thank them for their inventions, but to the one who made and maintains everything like stars and souls and planets and, and people, we do more than thank him, we worship him. You see, and, and, and as we draw closer to Christmas and, and look closer to Christ, you know, we have to kind of start here with the deity of Christ. But then, you know, we move to where we need to move to. Second point after the deity is the humanity of Christ. Because if you go down to verse 14, speaking of the word, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, you've got to know the, the deity, and then you also must know the humanity. Where it says the word became flesh, Whenever John uses the word flesh, it's not like Paul. Paul would use it in a negative connotation. John would always use it in a positive connotation because there was the Gnostics who believed that God didn't really come in the flesh, that he was just a phantom, that when he walked, he didn't leave footprints, right? And they tried to strip Jesus of his humanity. But no, we need to know the deity, and we also need to know the humanity, that he had a body, he came in the flesh just like us. 
You know, the word became flesh. The Greek word is that word sarx, and it speaks of the body of man, the human nature of man. In other words, what we find is that God became man. And so the Creator had been conceived in the womb of Mary, but now on Christmas night or Christmas day, He's born as a baby, right? And and we're definitely in awe of His deity, and we should be, but, but how about his humanity. Does that impress you? Because when I think of God, this same God who made and maintains everything, when I think of him, the eternal one, entering into time and space and becoming a human, you know, taking on humanity, I tell you what, that is infinite humility. And that is just as impressive. I mean, he traveled so far from outside of time all the way from eternity. Truly, as we read earlier, great is the mystery how God became flesh. You know, most of you know the story how Joseph and Mary were engaged to each other and prior to their consummation of the marriage, Mary was found pregnant, right? And so, you know, Joseph finding out that she was pregnant was going to walk away from the relationship when what happened was an angel appeared to him informing him that the child was conceived within Mary by the Holy Spirit. And the angel told Joseph to marry Mary. And so he did. And that night in Bethlehem, we read those famous words in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. I wish I could say it like, uh, was it Linus who said it? And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. And God became man. His humanity. You know, we, we, we see his deity and, and we see his humanity just saturated throughout the scriptures, even in prophecy. Uh, for example, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Not, that's a lot right there, but there's his humanity, there's his, his deity. We see his deity humanity in Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. It speaks of Jesus being born of the lineage of David in his humanity, but declared to be the Son of God in his deity. We see his deity and humanity in Philippians 2, 6 through 7, where the Bible says, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he had no problem with someone saying, you're God. No problem with that, right? But he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. In other words, that word there, it says he emptied himself of his divine privileges, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. You know, we see his humanity and his deity in that he died, and he was dead on the cross in his humanity, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead in his deity, because Jesus said that he himself had the power to raise himself up from the dead. Only God could do that. But he said that he did it in John 2, verse 19, and John chapter 10, verse 18. And so, you know, as you um, celebrate Christmas, you guys, and as you're, you know, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I have a, a, a sign in my house. It, it's, I don't know how many years old, but... One year, by the grace of God, you know, I, I designed a little uh, logo. It says, uh, Celebrate Jesus. And it has the words in Jesus, real big letters. The true reason for the season 
and I put up the sign in my front yard, and I put a light there. And, uh, and to me, it's like I want everyone to know that, that it's, it's all about him. You know, thank God, you know, for the, the gifts that we receive over the years. As you get older, that's not much of a, of a big deal. Thank God for the gifts that we get to give. Thank God for the, I've been, I've been grubbing tamales. I have been grubbing down tamales. You guys got to pray for me, man. Because this time of year, I don't know why. They say Mexicans like tamales. I won't say why, but you know, you know, and the cookies, and you know, you go looking at the lights and the decorations and all those types of things, but you know, they're all supposed to point us to Jesus. And so we have to search our own hearts. You know, have we been drawing near? You know, do we realize that it's huge? It is huge that God became a baby. And we know that he was born to die. You know, we see four things. One, his, his deity. Two, his humanity. And then three, his proximity. His proximity. And the word proximity is a cool word. It, it means nearness and space, time and relationship. It's a really perfect word to describe Christmas, how God came near in space and time and relationship. You see, and that's what we read right here. It says, and the word became flesh and, and he dwelt among us. You know, he dwelt among us, you know. I love the words of Max Lucado who said he came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. God tapped humanity on his collective shoulder and said, pardon me. And he said, and he interrupted time, and he became a baby. Christianity was born in one big heavenly interruption. You know, he came close. I'm sure, you know, maybe uh, some of you have heard the story how long ago there ruled a wise and, and good king who loved his people. And he wanted to see firsthand how they lived. He wanted to know about their hardships and experiences in life. And so what the king would do is he would dress in the clothes of a working man or a beggar, and he would travel to the homes of the poor and spend time with them. No one whom he visited was ever aware that the one among them was their king. He often, however, visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. And he would share a meal with him. He would eat the food the poor man ate. And he would spend time with him, speak cheerful words to him, encourage him. Until one day he visited the poor man and he revealed his identity by saying, I am your king. And so, the king thought that when the man found out he was the king, surely he would ask for some grand and glorious gift or favor from the king, but he didn't. Instead, the poor man said, you left your palace, your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the food I ate. You were here in the home and cellar that I dwell in, you brought 
gladness to my heart. He said, to others you have given your rich gifts. To me, you've given yourself. I am most grateful to my most wonderful king. And, and you guys, that's Christmas. You know, we are so blessed to remember this time of year that, that we have a king of kings, that the king of glory has come, the king of peace, Jesus himself, in his deity, became humanity in proximity. And it went beyond visitation. The Bible says that the word became flesh and and he dwelt among us. If you have a New Living Translation, it says right there that he made his home among us. And you guys know how it is, right? Someone comes over and they visit you. Isn't it cool? Sometimes they even come over without invite, without invitation. Does that ever happen? They come over, they knock on the door, they go in your house, they open up the refrigerator. Hey, what do you got to eat? You know, and it's cool. But as the night wears on, they split, right? What about when they live with you. I mean, that happens sometimes too. And you and guy, you, you, we know that's totally different. Well, that's what God has done. He didn't come just to visit. He came to live with us. And that relationship, that's what we celebrate on Christmas. You see, we won't know the, the full spectrum of what it means. You know, you're, you're probably not going to wake up a few minutes earlier so that you can get on your face and on your knees and worship him. You know, this time of year, I'll be honest with you, a lot of us here, we're reading through our Bibles. And for most of us here, if you've been reading through your Bible in the year, you're in the book of Revelation, you're reading the Minor Prophets. And, you know, it's a blessing because, man, you, you read your Bible in a year, Right? But, but, but it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. Maybe we should read um, something out of Luke, you know, chapter 2 or 1 or Matthew 1 or maybe Isaiah 9 or, you know, Isaiah 7 or the, the scriptures that talk about Christmas. Oh, but I can't because I'm busy, you know, and got to, you know, do all these things and places to go and people to see and parties to attend and plays and you know you know i gotta read through my bible and it's like you mean to tell me you won't go through any type of extra effort this time of year when god is calling us to celebrate the coming of jesus christ how god came to earth you can't read an extra chapter of your bible you can't wake up maybe a little earlier and spend time in in prayer see and, and yeah, you won't until you realize truly what he's done. I mean, God became man to die on a cross for us. And we can't get out of bed. We can't turn off the television. I think when it sinks in, you know, you begin to, to answer the call a little more. You know, some people will criticize Christmas and they'll say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, we're supposed to celebrate Christmas. And, and you're right, it doesn't, you know. Um, 
not in a, as far as a, a, a official religious holiday goes. You know, you have the Old Testament feasts, and they would celebrate them every year, and I think there's something to that so that you don't forget, you know, the things that God does. So for us, it's not, it's not force, it's not coercion from our Creator, it's volitional. We have made it something that we do. And so, you know, what I, what I encourage, you know, you, myself, to enter into this time of year is, is just, man, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget Him. You know, draw near to Christ. You know, we see His deity. We see His humanity. We see the proximity. And then in the end, we see the glory. Because again, notice it says there in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and, and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, we beheld his glory. The Greek word translated beheld, it means to, to look upon, to view attentively, to contemplate. The word is often used of persons that are looked on with admiration. You know, and I, and I don't know, if you ever look on a person with admiration, do you ever do that? Like, I don't know, like I could just, uh, you know, I've had dreams about my wife. I can look at her and just look at the hair and the eyes and the dimples and like, wow, she's beautiful. Or my, my kids, when they were born, just looking at them and like, just wow, Lord, thank you. Or, you know, it might be someone that you know died with integrity and they were a man of God, and you read a, a, perhaps a, a biography about their life, and you kind of look at them with admiration. Well, the Bible says, and we beheld, that's that word, his glory, right? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The Greek word doxa, glory, it speaks of splendor, brightness, magnificence. In the New Testament, it's always good resulting in honor and praise. And here's the thing, you guys. As Jesus came, they got to see the glory of God, the majesty of the Almighty. They got to see him up close and personal. How many of you here, just out of curiosity, if Jesus were here walking, you know, planet Earth, how many of you here would love to hang out with him? Just out of curiosity. And you would leave your job... Right, and I'd be I would I would I would do even like Peter did. Sorry, you know, sweetheart, talking to his wife. I'm gonna go spend time with Jesus, you know, because there's nothing like this. I mean, they got to live with him, man, and and they got to see the glory, right, up close and personal. Now I was thinking about I don't know if you guys have ever seen. Most of you probably know. Have you seen those mirrors they have? They're, they're, you know, they're usually something you can look close into, and it magnifies everything. Have you guys seen those mirrors, right? And they magnify everything, not only magnification, but now it's even illumination, right? And they, they come as lighted mirrors, you know? And so I've looked into these mirrors, and man, talk about details you don't want to see, man. You know, you see everything, right? But in, these, in this case, these guys and gals were permitted to see the glory of God 
in magnification, in illumination, up close and personal. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the Bible says. I mean, to see the Lord and I could just imagine the the perfect love, the perfect life, the wisdom, the words, the wonders. And if that weren't enough, John tells us that when he saw his glory, Jesus didn't have you know, just that. It says right here at the end of verse 14 that he was full of grace and truth. And that was glorious. He was the only begotten of the Father. He was just like his father, right? I mean, when you look at grace, it's so cool to see. It's the opposite of justice. Justice is, you know, the landlord sending you to the streets for a month because you didn't pay your rent. That's justice. Grace is the Lord providing the dream home for you forever because he paid the price. You know, we know sin separates us from God, but Jesus came to teach us the truth about grace and to banish forever the separation. You know, seen so clearly in those words of Charles Wesley, right? That great hymnist. He said, Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled now that's us that's you here tonight man if you were to get home go on your way home and you get into some crazy car accident and you remember you know first rain the water the roads are slick none of us here knows whether or not we're going to make it to tomorrow but because you place your faith in jesus christ and you're trusting in him and his blood and his cross and his deity and his humanity and his proximity you and i will wake in glory we are forgiven people. We don't feel that way sometimes, but it's because we forget Jesus. We start focusing too much on ourselves. No, it, he's full of grace and truth. Matthew one twenty one, one of my favorite verses, and she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Isn't that cool, you guys? You know, grace and truth, the truth of grace, unmerited favor, G-R-A-C-E, God's reward at Christ's expense. God didn't just stop by to say hi. He came to die, right? To go from that cradle one day where he would end up on a cross and he would die for our sins. You know, the grace and the truth, the opposite of Grace is justice. The opposite of truth is lies. And you guys got to know that the world that we live in is filled with lies. You know, they tell you that God doesn't love you. They tell you that God doesn't care, that religion is enough. You know, they'll tell you that there's no life after death. There's no heaven. There's no hell, that God can't help you, that God can't heal you, that God can't hear you, that God doesn't see you, that God can't save you. They're all lies. And the truth about grace is that he can save you. Even tonight, if you don't know the Lord, or you need to be reminded of that, that gospel, you know? How we're saved by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all involved in that. 
Did you guys know that? That we're saved by the Father because he chose us before time began. We're saved by the Son when he died on the cross there on Calvary's mountain. And we're saved by the Holy Spirit the moment, the very moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We make a decision to turn from our sins and trust in him. Boom, we're saved. Because they say, and I like what Tony Evans said, he said the Father is uh, the executive producer, uh, the Holy Spirit is the director, and Jesus Christ is the superstar. Amen? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't believe the lies. You know, there's so many lies, like even the lie that Christmas is not about Christ. No, it is all about Christ. At least it should be, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You guys look forward to that everlasting life? We have it now. One day we're going to be home in heaven. Think about it. My hair will not be gray anymore. And it'll be longer and I'll be taller. And so many things about heaven I look forward to, man. I, I tell you guys all the time, but I'm serious. I'm not exaggerating. Pizza will be good for you in heaven. You won't gain any weight. We're going to be able to fly. No dental floss, no deodorant. People shouldn't be bummed if they cross that bridge from time into eternity because it's then we'll be home with him in heaven. All because he came to earth, one day we'll go to heaven. I tell you what, Christmas is a time for celebration. Don't believe the lies that it's not about Jesus, because let me tell you something, it, it all, it's all about him. And let me close with one last story. I read about a man who purchased a computer for his elderly parents, but he lived far away, and so he had it shipped to them via UPS. When the package arrived, they unpacked it, and literally within minutes, their two smiles turned into two frowns. Even after reading the directions, snail mail to them by their son, they couldn't get past the screens and asking for information and, and this and that. That seemed like Greek to them. And so a couple of days later, the man's mom was playing bridge with her friend, and, and she confessed to her, her inability to get the computer to work. And so frustrated, she said to the lady, you know, my son told me he would walk us through it over the phone and he sent us directions, but the truth is, I don't need better directions. I just need my son. I need my son to come and help us and maybe even to do it himself. And in one sense, that's what Jesus has done. You know, thank God, you know, he gives us directions, but he came, he did it himself by dying on the cross, and he showed us exactly how to live the life. And so I tell you what, you guys, um, how many more days till Christmas? Does anybody know? Ten days. Okay, if you haven't been focused for these next ten days by the Holy Spirit, ask him to, to give you laser-like focus on Jesus Christ. Let's take advantage of this time. And then I think what's going to end up happening is we're going to draw near and I have a feeling that God is going to even use our lives to help others draw near.